We're into a great series and it's called His Life and His Love. In our lives, we can experience the love of God. That's what we're called to do. How many know that, and we say it here often, that he loved us where we were? You know, I remember uh, the person that received that love the first moment. He loved me where I was. I tell you, I I, I just let you know, I, I, I wasn't perfect. You know, Jesus did not pluck me out of a choir somewhere to get me saved. You know, I was I had some I had some uh, things in my life going on which were not pretty. But I tell you what, he loved me where I was. And we're all the same. You know, none of us were good enough. And um, and it was him that had to do the work and uh, and loved me where I was. It's a word you hear often at Victory Life. And and let's know that he has loved us enough And this is the whole point. He's loved us enough not to leave us where we were. So, you know, obviously he had new life for me. And it involved coming to know that a love that he had for me. And and how much he loved me where I was. And we've been talking about that. He has transformation for us. Whatever you do, don't lock into a a pattern of Christianity that just leaves you where you are because that transformation can just continue and can continue. And just when you think you've already been transformed enough, he'll transform you some more, you know. Transformation continues. Isn't it sad that we get locked into a type of Christianity that just gets us having more of the same? I don't know about you, but I, I decided a long time ago that I didn't want that. And so I have to get out of that more of the same mode. Um... He wants us to grow and prosper as his children. And that's how he does it, to continual transformations. Truth, light, uh, that gets us walking out of darkness and gets us walking into freedom and uh, the light of his word. And we've been seeing that if God loves you the way that he loved Jesus, we should also know that he's extending that same love to those that are lost in sin and also the believer that struggles with sin and temptation. They still believe, but they stumble. They're believers, but they're stumbling. Uh, i put it to you, who hasn't? Who hasn't been there in that difficult place? Well, if I tell you now, I've been... This year, I turned 40 years old as a believer... This year, 40 years, I can't believe it. I remember when I was new, this guy got up and gave a testimony in the church that I was serving, and he'd been saved for eight years. And I said, eight years? I couldn't believe that he'd been saved that long. you know. And I look now and I'm going, 40 years? I've been walking with Jesus. And, um, you know, the, the thing is, I look back and remember that young bloke that I was, that young guy that I was, and I think, oh, I wish I could have go back and just talk to him. And just tell him just a few things, a few of those little key things that in my Christian life just unlocked so much of what, you know, I'm so grateful that I walk in now. And I just wish I could go back to that young bloke 40 years ago and say, just do this and do this. And those two keys will keep you going and you'll you'll glow in the dark, you know, (laughs) because God's got some great stuff for us, but we just got to keep going on with it. And, uh, and not give up on it. Amen? Don't ever give up on Jesus. I say that to those of you who have ever considered it. Uh, don't know if I'm gonna, I can continue with this. Oh, you know, that doubt is from the pits of hell. Yeah. Just, just know that. That doubt is not from heaven. 
I heard someone say that it's not that the devil is trying to get you to go to hell. He just wants you out of the way because he knows how potentially dangerous you are to his purposes and his plans when you're on fire for him, when you're on fire for Jesus. He knows how much damage you can do to his purposes. And let me tell you, it's nothing special. His, his purposes are nothing special. He's just a rebel. And he, what he wants to do is he wants to set people free from God and God's purposes and his plans. Amen. It's always good to remind ourselves that the love of God that we find in John 3.16, um, that verse that everyone seems to know and, and, and remember, is the unconditional kind of love, that, that love that gets spoken about there in John 3.16. Who, who, who would say you know John 3.16 off by heart? Got a few hands going up. Come on. All, everyone be honest. You know John 3.16. You've seen it on the T-shirt. You've seen the bumper sticker. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's a good one to remember and uh, I, I just want to just put it out to you today. Uh, God extends it to us even when we didn't deserve it. And the way that man first benefits from it is that we believe it. Mankind needs to receive it to benefit from it. And how we received it was by believing on him and his substitutionary sacrifice at the cross. When he was made sin for us and we were made the righteousness of God through him. You know, God's love, God's love uh, for us was so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And we have to be mindful of that. And our salvation is based on right standing with God by our believing. I don't know, Mark, I think you should just maybe turn me back down again. And, you know, it, it's so important in the Bible, that's called righteousness by faith. Righteousness by faith. And uh, I think it's important that we understand that. Righteousness by faith. And, uh, you know, we, we continue to walk in that right standing uh, with the Father as we continue to believe, as we continue to maintain our faith. And uh, exactly the same as the righteousness that was in, accredited to Abraham when he first believed. And I'll, I'll just go there. This is the opening scripture this morning uh, in um, uh, Romans chapter 4 and verse 3 to 4. It says, what? For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. What work is he talking about? Those that are trying to be good enough themselves. Trying to work it out. Trying to you know, uh, decide what it is that they must do to be right with God. That's the work. But to him who does not work, but believes on him, who justifies the ungodly. All right. His faith is accounted for righteousness. In other words, your believing gets you a long way with God. Your believing gets you into a place of salvation. Okay? And then in that place of salvation, he begins to knock the rough bits off. You know, we're all rough diamonds that need to be chipped away at and some need a lot more chipping than others. I know. I've seen that. 
recognise that pastoring as a, gee, there's a lot of chipping going on here. But, you know, God's the one that's faithful to continue working in our lives. But what gets us into the place of salvation where he can start the work of transformation is righteousness by faith. Our right standing with God by faith. Don't ever get that mixed up and think that somehow you have to go and work for your salvation. It doesn't work that way. But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. You want to know how much God loves you? He loved you so much that he gave us this salvation pathway. That's the truth we need to get a hold of. And in that, perfect love casts out all fear of judgment. If you read it there in 1 John 4, we'll have confidence of the day of judgment. Not because I've been real good lately. I've put a big dent in it, in my works and all of that, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. What a great message. You know, so many people go to church and they never hear the gospel. This is the gospel, you see. Some people go to church and they will not hear a message that helps them to understand how far believing gets them. You know, and I, I tell, I'll just put it to you this way. Believing got you all the way. Your believing got you all the way to right standing with God and he's not going to take it off you. It's you who has to let it go by not believing. Getting very quiet in this Pentecostal church. But I tell you, it's so important to get these truths right in the heart because it just opens up so much for the Lord to come in and minister into our hearts. Amen. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Praise the Lord. Let's read on. In uh, Romans chapter 4 and verse 7 to 8, it says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. You know, the truth that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son is followed by John 3, 17 and 18. And let's memorise that as well, if we're going to memorise John 3, 16, because it says this, and we'll go there and look at it. John 3, 16 to 18 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that everyone who believes in him should not perish, everyone who believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Aren't you glad? Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe has already been condemned because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Just breaking it down here. Just unpacking what is critical truth for us to understand. If we hold this to our hearts and keep walking in it, it will set you free into other dimensions of what God has for us. Who is it that does not condemn? Whoever believes in him. Not Whoever has reached sinless perfection, that's none of us. By keeping the law or by being morally mighty 
all the morally mighty said amen? Just get it right all the time? They say the amplified, you know, is, they say the amplified version is for people who are hard of hearing. And, and, and I'll read to you from one thir- uh, uh, Psalm 130, 3 to 4 in the Amplified. It says, If you, Lord, should keep an account of our sins and treat us accordingly, O Lord, who could stand before you in judgment and claim innocence? Get that? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared and worshipped with submissive wonder. You know, it's his love that brings us into that place of submission to his will and his purposes. It's, 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 you know, it's understanding his forgiveness that he's extended to us that makes us sit up and pay attention. Say, I don't want more of that. He's so good. I didn't deserve it, but he loved me anyway. Amen. This again helps us to understand that the Christian believer that is still struggling with sin is not cast off from God. They're still in the family of God, still have eternal life, and we should love them through their sin and not condemn them like they are unbelievers. Amen? Love is a word that we use in English. True. It's a word that we use um, that so often needs context. Uh, I can say, I love bananas. I love bananas. And, you know, you would go, oh, well, that's reasonable. I say, I love my wife. But how many of you know that it's a, it's a different kind of love? You know, <laughs> it is a different type of love. You know, the Bible says, I must love my wife. You know, there's a different right there. <laughs> Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them, it says. You know, that's a little bit of marriage, uh, um, uh, marriage uh, teaching there. Be not bitter against them. And wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. <laughs> There's another little bit of Bible college teaching there, right? <laughs> we'll have a marriage seminar. What do you say? You know, have a marriage seminar at some point and teach some of those wonderful truths, you know, in detail. But, you know, um, it's interesting because we use the same word love to describe those. And you have, in English, you have to have the context to work out which is which and what's the more meaningful love or just I like bananas. Um, But there are four types of love in the Greek language described in the Bible. There are only three mentioned in the New Testament. And uh, the one that does not get a mention is eros love or sexual love. And let's just appreciate, just before I go on too far there, let's just appreciate uh, uh, sexual love was designed by God Okay, Um, for the purpose of family and intimacy. And biblically, it's a level of love that is placed within the boundary of marriage. We believe that. So children grow up in the security of parental commitment and, uh, and with God in the equation, husbands and wives referring to the Heavenly Father about problems and just makes for a better family household and, um, and lifestyle. Again, Eros is not mentioned in the New Testament. However, it does get a mention in the Old Testament for any theologians that are here that are just listening. It gets mentioned in the Septuagint translation. That's the Greek version of the Old Testament. Okay? Just so you want to know. And it gets mentioned over there, but not in the New Testament. But there are three mentions of love and different words to describe that love in the New Testament. And it's well well and truly worthwhile that we have a quick look at that. 
In um, the first one, you've got storge love, which is a natural family love, and uh, such as a love between a parent and a child. I, I loved my brother as, uh, as we grew up and, uh, and felt just a natural affection toward my brother. Who, 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 could, who can relate to that? You know, just, just, you know, that family love that you have going on. And we fought like, you know, like you would not imagine. He was two years older than me and he would always beat me and in fights or anything like that. And until one day I decided that that was enough. He was not going to beat me anymore. And I reached over to the pencil case and pulled out a pencil and stabbed him in the knee. And, uh, and he thought twice about beating me after that, you know. And uh, I'm sure he thought, well, make sure he's got no weapons on him, you know. But I, I only say that because I know the kids are out, okay, in kids' churches this morning already. But, but I do remember that. And, of course, he did cry and I felt bad because I'd stabbed him, all right, <laughs> which I think is love, okay, that I felt bad that I'd stabbed him. So, um, And it was only in the knee anyway. So, but, and he quickly got off me when I did, so that was good. Um, but it's easy to love your kids. That's storge love and your, your natural brothers and sisters and your granny and your pop, it's natural to love uh, your family. It's usually felt quite naturally. Uh, the, the, the second type of love is phileo love. And, of course, that speaks of the love that you can have with your friends. And, um, you know, it, it's you know, very much a, um, a, you know, friends that you love almost like a a family member, you know, almost to that degree. It's like a, um, a love that you build and, and develop. The friendship type of love, which is a strong bond between people who share common values and interests or activities. Usually you find those kind of friends and you want them to be a Facebook friend in this day and age. Oh, I'll send it. No. They've got common values and, and interests and activities and we like to get around them and of course you know many many pursue this type of love with people in the world it's it's a part of their social endeavor you know some people are more active in that you know I've only got a couple of hundred friends on Facebook and I realize that they're not all really my friends but but I realize that but some have got 5,000 friends and 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 maintain contact with all of those five 5,000 friends I don't know how they can do it myself but um, I'm happy for them to uh, follow that social endeavour. Finding best friends is usually, at, you know, at the bottom of that. Amen? And, of course, <clears throat> there's um, agape love. And I want to talk about that most importantly. It's the unconditional love that God loved us with. And we believe to receive. You know, it was this love that we, we, we see being identified in the New Testament most often. It's a love that Jesus gave us as a new commandment. The love that you, that you, you love one another with as I have loved you. You know, Jesus said that, you know, and gave it as a new commandment. You see, as we go out loving like God loves, you're not going to have a, a storge love. Uh, you know, that family-like affection for everyone. You're not going to achieve phileo love, uh, that brotherly love with everyone you come across and send them a friend request on Facebook, but you can and we should share God's love with everyone. You know, the agape kind of love, and it's unconditional. Come on, church, is what I would say. 
if we're going to shine brightly in the community, in our township, you know, in the region, if we're going to shine brightly, we've got to get good at sharing the agape kind of love. And it's God's unconditional love. We're called by God to be known. And I'm going to just emphasize this. We're called by God to be known by his love in our fellowship together. Amen. God so loved the world that he gave. He demonstrates it to us so we can too. You know, and, and it's the, the loving uh, aspect. It's that extended to us, even when they don't deserve it. How many have ever had to love someone when they didn't deserve it? All of us. It's the forgiving kind of love. And we're all challenged right there. All of us are challenged right there. Instead of getting offended with others, Agape love, God's kind of love, means we forgive others that have rubbed us the wrong way, done us wrong, and sinned against us. That's where agape love comes in. It's not about unfriending people, you know, and, you know, when someone does do the wrong thing and it seems to put you right out. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 to 5. It says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Verse 5, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, and is not provoked. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. So God's love is not easily offended when we're operating, when we're functioning in God's love. Peter sought to understand that agape type of love when he asked Jesus the question, how many times shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? You know, how many times? What's a good number to put on that? And of course we see that in Matthew 18 and verse 21. Uh, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Now, Peter had already gotten a clue that Jesus was big on love, that he was you know, right out there. And he thought seven times should just about do it. Okay? Someone rubs you the wrong way once, twice, you sort of let them go, you let them off the hook. But Peter's really going out there. He says, look, what about if I was to do this seven times? Would that be enough? Again, seeking to justify himself. Seven times, he says. And he'd come to that realisation that, you know, when you extend it to others, that was something that had to be quite long-suffering. And he thought seven was a good number. Now, of course, that was the takeaway last week. God's love is not just to us, but through us. So we have to get a hold of this truth about love because it's not just going to come to us. I'm going to sit there and bask in it. It has to come through us. Mm, has to come through us. Peter is thinking seven times is really long-suffering, he thinks. Now, just imagine this, and I'll give you a scenario. If you had a brand new car, you know, those who have had a brand new car knows how exciting it is. Usually, when you get it at the showroom, they put a ribbon around it. And you drive, you know, you go in there to pick up your car, and they take you into the showroom, and there's your car sitting in the showroom, and it's got a big ribbon on it. It's wonderful. And of course, you drive out of there, you don't take that ribbon off, but, you know, you, 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 you're so excited about this new car. But just imagine that was you dropped down to one of the uh, showrooms and got your new car on Friday. Come to church on Sunday excited about your new car. You park it out in the car park and one of your fellow fellow congregation members, one that should have gone to Specsavers, okay, (laughs) just backs out and backs into your brand new car, okay? And that's not enough. They don't even stop. 
they drive off because they didn't feel it. I remember our daughter Julia coming home from the car park down at the marina one time when she first got a licence. She came home and said, I think I hit something. And we said, what do you mean you think? You either hit something or you didn't. Did you hit it or not? She goes, I think. And, and sure enough, on the front of her car, there was a big dent in the front of her car, but she thought she'd hit something. I don't know, usually I, I would say, if you hit something, you know you hit it, you know. But anyway, we, we had to work, that, work, work through it with her. And um, she'd hit a pole. And uh, she wasn't sure, but she, you know, we found the, the dent in the car. But my question to you, and there it is on the driver's side. How many of you know the worst place you want to get a scratch is on the driver's side because you're reminded about it every time you go to the car. I hate getting scratches on the driver's side. But anyway, you're reminded about it. But, you know, imagine yourself in that situation. Would you forgive them? Silence. I, I'm glad. I'm glad you're thinking about it at least. Silence. Because, you know, you know these are the kind of things that happen to us from time to time. Someone bumps into your car. Someone does something that rubs you the wrong way. Would you forgive them? Of course you, you would forgive them. You might call them and ask them about the details of their insurance company. You know, and say, oh, so-and-so told me that you bumped into my car the other day. Oh, my gosh. It was new. Don't you know? And you hit me on the driver's side, by the way, which is painful because I've got, now got to look at it. But, you know, let's just say you went through that. But what if they did it again the following Sunday? Chances are that that wouldn't happen. But let's just face, let's just look at that for a second and it happened again. Would you forgive them the second time? So when Peter's going, seven times do I forgive him? Peter thought that was pretty long-suffering. If you give it a scenario, you really start to wonder, well, how good are we really at forgiving? And, um, you know, your, your favourite song is, is that you've lost that loving feeling by the Righteous Brothers. Because that's usually what happens when someone rubs you the wrong way in a way that really hurts you. Is you kind of lose that loving feeling, don't you? So... Matthew 18, verse 22, for the answer, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. So in other words, he just knocks it out of the park and just says, no, nah, this just goes on forever and ever. You know, Jesus didn't leave Peter guessing. He didn't give him a limit. He said, in effect, keep forgiving. It's not 490 times and then you can take revenge. You know, it's not that at all. Peter, just keep going. And after 490 dents in your car, you're going to be a better person. <laughs> you won't get much of a trade-in on your car, but your heart will be right with God, you know. And how many of you know this is about having a heart that's right with God? You know, in our Bible college days, and I'm kind of getting close to finish, but in our Bible college days, I think it was 1990, uh, we sold a business while we were actually in Bible college and, and again, just following the Lord's plan and, and um, we, we decided that we'd upgrade our car and we went out and bought a French classic. Some of you have heard the story of the French classic and, and um, it was a collectible, if anyone wanted to ask. And uh, as far as we we're concerned, that was the type of thing that holds their value. So a good classic car, what an, that's not a purchase, that's an investment we, would, we were talking to ourselves about and just loved this car and, 
Uh, it wasn't an indulgence, it was an investment. Very good condition and of course bought from a guy that owned a panel beater shop who was a French car nut and, uh, and so it was great. And we're, we're, you know, how many of you know that we're surrounded by people who make mistakes? All of us. You know, I, I, saw, I saw a meme that said, to err is human, to err is pirate. <laughs> to err is human. So, you know, we, the reason we put bumpers on cars is because we make mistakes. Rubbers on pencils is for the same reason. So the whole thing, um, and, and certainly what I found during this uh, uh, situation was as I was driving home in our car and uh, coming home from Bible College actually and driving along and um, we, we, uh, we lived uh, on the coast there in, um, in Waterman's Bay and driving along and there's a place there called Flora Terrace and as we're driving along um, there was like a series of stop signs that actually you know, uh, you, you got a fairly straight run along Flora Terrace, but there were cars. And as I'm driving along, I wasn't speeding, I was just doing like the, the, the speed limit. And sure enough, I saw this car coming up to the stop sign and it failed to stop at the stop sign. And, and of course, I bounced into this uh, Volvo. I don't know if you've ever hit a Volvo before, uh, but they have a reputation of being like tanks. And this thing really put a big nudge as I, as I hit the skids and slammed into the side of it. And uh, I, my car was all smashed in at the front and uh, their car was not even a scratch. And uh, just like hitting a brick wall it was, you know. And so once I got out and I was, I was devastated, you know, that I'd been involved in an accident in our, in our uh, classic French car. And, uh, you know, the thing was, and I'll, I'll, but just for time I'll just share, I was upset. We exchanged details. She quickly told me that her car, uh, that I thought was her car, was not her car. It was actually a car that she was taking on a test drive that day. And uh, she was unemployed and she was buying this cheap car because she needed a new car. And it wasn't hers and she wasn't insured. So I'm sitting there going, <coughs> you know, just sort of really holding back the, the disappointment. And anyway, so I gathered myself together and sort of started to, um, I thought they'd they were teaching, I love that day at Bible college, I'm sure. Um, but I, I worked through that uh, initial annoyance, got the details and said, look, we're just going to have to come to a, some type of agreement so that I can get my car fixed and you can pay for it. And she was all in agreement, and, and that was it. And so anyway, as I say, I believe that there was a real, a, a real uh, lesson for me because shortly after that, probably a week or two, and I think she'd made one payment, the Lord spoke to me and said, let her off. Let her off the hook. In other words, just let it go. You know, you're getting your car fixed, you're doing it, you're getting it done, let it go. And so I tell you, there was a great joy in being able to go around to her place one day and where she thought that I was going to come around and get another payment for the work done on my car, I was able to say to her, look, I just want you to know God must really love you because he's letting you off the hook to pay this out. She's just completely surprised at the door. You know, completely surprised that I was going to let her off the hook. And, you know, I, obviously I w had to pay good money to get that, you know, the front of that car fixed. But the, the joy of letting her off the hook was worth it. It was a thrill for me. You know, the money became of no consequence. It was the fact that I was showing her something that God showed me to do, which was love. Let her off. And sometimes if we'll just do it, in the affairs of life, the circumstances that come up, where it's just easy to say, look, 
Just let them off the hook. Let them go. You know, I tell you what, it's, it, it felt real good. I tell you, it was worth every cent to be able to go there. She was so excited. Oh, I don't have to pay. I said, no, you don't have to pay. She goes, oh, I've got no money. I'm so glad I don't have to pay. She was so, you know, uh, unfortunately uh, in, a, in a bad condition financially. You see, God's calling us to love one another. Amen? You mean to be kind, affectionate, friendly to everyone? Sure, be that person, absolutely. That is a love that is covered biblically, and we've seen that. But God's love through us, you know, love that is love that turns the other cheek. All right? It turns the other cheek. And, and when someone offends you, you turn the other cheek. That's the love of God that we've been called to. John 13, last scripture it says, John 13 verse 34 to 35, it says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And look what he says. He says this, verse 35, By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Let's see it here. You know, let's, let's not miss the key identifier as a Christian disciple. And let's make sure we don't miss the truth that we can be a Christian without being a disciplined one. And, that, you know, those are around us. We all need to grow in love. We all need to become disciplined in our love walk and become more like Jesus. Be sure to see that it was Jesus who said, loving one another would be our identifier, the thing that identified us and makes us stand out among others. Amen. You know, be ready to share the message and tell you, more than anything, turn the other sheet and not be offended. Can I get an amen this morning? Amen. amen. You know, something that we work at, sometimes it's through many attempts, but it's something that we work at and should keep going after. Amen. God bless you all. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. And I believe we should just maybe sing that last song and, and have that altar call as well that um, Pastor Jess mentioned. You know, some of you are sitting on some things that just need uh, for the Lord to uh, take you through to the other side. And, and uh, I believe that the Lord would touch your hearts today. So let's, let's stand and pray before we finish. And, and uh, we'll just lock this in. Father. We again uh, appreciate your word, Lord, to us, Lord. And we thank you that your, your word is, is a, a, a Father, a lamp unto our feet, a guide unto our path, Father God. It shows us where we are. Lord God, sometimes it shows us so much about where we are. And Lord, we thank you it's a lamp that shows us where we can go. And Father God, whatever light is being, whatever's uh, being lit today by your word, Lord God, we just give ourselves to it, Lord God. And thank you, Father that you reveal, Father, areas that we need to move on in and uh, continue going on with you in. And Lord, we thank you for that, Lord. Lord, we, we, we thank you for the pathway that you've set us upon, Lord God. We know you live and we know you love, Father. And we want to love just like you, Lord. And so we commit to you today our love walk, Lord, our purpose, Father, to love like you love and, uh, and be that people, Father God, that shine brightly in a very, very dark world, Father. We ask today these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Everybody said amen.